Today we're going to wrap up our 10-part finance series that has introduced the Back to the Blessing theme for 2014. Our theme here at Living Hope Christian Center for the year 2014 is Back to the Blessing. And we're going back to the blessing in three areas of our lives. First, we're going back to the blessing in the realm of our finances. Secondly, we're going back to the blessing in the realm of our family. And thirdly, we're going back to the blessing in the realm of our friendships and in fellowship. And so we're going to learn what it means to go back to the blessing. Now, the central metaphor that frames this whole year for us, the central passage of Scripture is in Genesis chapter 12, where God comes to Abram in the city of Haran, where he's been living with his father and his father's household. God says to him, get up out of your father's house and go to the place that I'll show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make you a blessing, and you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he said this, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Now hold that thought right there. But this back to the blessing theme takes shape for us in this passage as Abraham moves to the promised land and not long after arriving in the promised land, he encounters a time of difficulty. How many of you have ever set out to do God's will and found that the moment that you arrived at the place God told you to to go, you got there and something was wrong? You ever felt like you did God's will and something was wrong there, like God led you right into a trap? God says, come right over here. And then you get there and you get hit upside the head by something you weren't expecting. And you start to think to yourself, it was better for me when I was living by my own strength and my own power, according to my own wisdom and my own ingenuity. But as soon as I step into the realm that God calls blessing, I experience it not as the realm of blessing, but as the realm of difficulty, as the realm of challenge, and as the realm of hardship. Abram gets to the promised land and the first thing that hits him is a famine. And when the famine hits, he starts to think, you know what, I must have missed God. And so he journeys down to Egypt, and he gets down to Egypt now. And what he finds is that the moment you take one step in your own power, another step is necessary. And when you take that step, another step is necessary. So he gets down to the the land of Egypt and finds that now he's got to lie to preserve his own life. Everything goes wrong there, and he ends up running back to the promised land with his tail tucked between his legs. When he gets back to the promised land, the first thing he does is he builds an altar and begins to call on the name of the Lord again. And that journey back to the promised land is the journey that we call going back to the blessing. That is back to the realm. God said, get up out of your father's house and go to the place I'll show you. And then I will bless you. Only if you reside in the place that I show you. Only if you live according to my will. What we are discovering is that the blessing of God is not an automatic endowment that follows every believer. There's some places the blessing of God just will not go with you. And so we are looking at Psalm chapter 112, and it defines the realm in which God will bless us. And we're speaking specifically of the realm in which God will bless us financially. Psalm 112.1 said, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who takes delight in his commandments. Verse 2, his descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. And there are many, many more promises that follow this. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He is scattered abroad, his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So many promises throughout this chapter of scripture, but now we're bringing it to a close with part 10 of our series and the 10th verse of this chapter. And this is what it says. The wicked will see it and be grieved. Say this with me. The wicked will see it and be grieved. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. Say this. The wicked will see it and be grieved. 
He will gnash his teeth and melt away. Say it again. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Now say the whole verse. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Say it again. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Now doesn't this sound like a very sour note to end a very sweet song? I mean, you thought we were going to end this series, this sermon with some specific blessing of financial prosperity. But instead, God ends this this passage, this great chapter, these great promises with the promise that the wicked are going to see you get blessed and be grieved. Now, today, I'm titling this sermon, The In-Your-Face Blessing. And I want to talk to you about the in-your-face blessing. Now, God has many kinds of blessings that he wants to bestow upon the people of God. But one kind of blessing that we have not yet tapped into is what I call the in-your-face blessing. Not in your face, in your face. You know what in-your-face means? In-your-face is a very popular slogan, and it refers to anything that is marked or done in a bold, defiant, or aggressive manner. In your face! Bold, defiant, aggressive. Now there's in your face advertising. You know what in your face advertising is, right? In your face advertising is a form of advertising in which a company highlights the benefits of its product in juxtaposition against the weaknesses of another product. Remember the I am a Mac and I am a PC campaign? I am a Mac and I am a PC. In your face, PC! That was the whole point of that whole advertising campaign was Apple was saying to the the world of Microsoft, in your face. There's in your face activism. There's in your face athletics. My favorite is in-your-face basketball. And one of my... Now, I haven't watched basketball since I was in high school, so I'm going to have to go way back in the day. But in 1987... (laughs) On December 2nd, 1987, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls were playing against John Paxton and the Utah Jazz. And on a fast break, Michael Jackson dunked on John Paxton. Michael Jackson? Michael Jordan. In your face. (laughs) That would be amazing, huh? Michael Jackson? (laughs) In your face. But on a fast break, Michael Jordan dunked on John Paxton. And after Michael Jordan, big old six foot six inch Michael Jordan, dunks on little six foot one inch John Paxton. One of the fans starts screaming, following Jordan down the court, screaming at him, pick on someone your own size, pick on someone your own size, pick on someone your own size. And Jordan pretended not to hear him. But a couple plays later, Jordan was also dished the ball on a fast break. 
But instead of John Paxton, standing under the court, under the rim, was Big Mark Eaton, who was seven foot four inches tall, two inches shy of a foot taller than Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan, blam, and slams on Mark Eaton in your face. And then he turns and looks at that fan and goes, was he big enough? In your face. That's what I'm talking about. That was an in your face blessing. I want to suggest to you that this verse of scripture is the crown of the whole chapter. In your face. And most of us don't like to think about getting an in your face blessing. Most of us don't even like to entertain the thought in my mind that God might bless me at the expense of someone else. But the truth of the matter is that God's blessing upon Abraham necessarily included God's curse upon Abraham's enemies. Follow me here. God does not just say to Abraham, I will bless you. But he says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And the point, the principle that this chapter gives us is that God cannot set his blessing upon you without without providing in that gift, in that endowment, a means of relationship with his blessing in the earth. That is, when God puts his blessing upon you, he makes you a means of receiving or rejecting his blessing in the earth. And so if people bless Abraham, get this in your mind. If people, if I don't even have to bless God, I just have to bless Abraham. And God said, if anybody blesses you, I'm going to bless them. I've got to bless them. Why? Because they have come into relationship with my blessing by coming into relationship with you. So if anybody blesses you, I got to bless them. I just got to bless them. So when Melchizedek stood in the valley with Abraham and said, blessed be Abraham of El Shaddai, God said, that's it, Melchizedek. I got to bless you. I cannot not bless you because you have blessed the one upon whom I've set my blessing. But the... The inverse is also true. If someone curses you, Abraham, I'm sorry, but I got to curse him. I got to take him out. And Abraham might say, well, no, 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 God, please don't do that. You know, I don't want you to bless. I don't want you to curse anybody on account of little old me. And God said, I'm not cursing them on account of little old you. I'm cursing them on account of big old me. Because if somebody curses you, they've cursed the one I've blessed. And they've set themselves in opposition against my blessing. And if you set yourself in opposition against my blessing, there's nothing left for you but my curse. You've asked for my curse. I can't help it. It's kind of like when Miriam, Moses' sister, came up against Moses and said, you think you're the only one who hears from God? And God said, whoop, there it is. And suddenly she was struck with a disease and sickness. And, God, and Moses cried out, Lord, please heal her. You hear what Moses is saying? Don't smite her because of little old me. And God says, you don't get it, Moses. I chose you. She opposed me. She didn't oppose you. Wow. Are you hearing me? Yeah. There is an in-your-face blessing that you and I need not actually to be ashamed of or to feel bad about or to be afraid of. We should actually embrace it, expect it, receive it, thank God for it, rejoice in it. This is a shouting verse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You need to hear this for us. The wicked will hear it and be great. Come on. Hallelujah. Yeah. That's right. When I get blessed, there's going to be some wicked folk that hear about it and they're going to be grieved. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. How do you define the wicked? Let me give you a quick definition of the wicked. 
according to the context of this verse. And tell me if I'm not exegetically sound in this interpretation. The wicked are anyone who grieves when the righteous get blessed. What does that mean? If a righteous person gets blessed and you're mad about it, you are wicked. Anyone in your life who gets upset when you get a blessing, that's wickedness. And if you get upset when somebody else gets a blessing, that's wickedness. If somebody prospers and you hate on them, that is wickedness. Your haters will see it and be grieved. Now, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises will forever be in my mouth. And he said, the humble will hear of it and be glad. The righteous are those who see the righteous getting blessed and they're glad about it. The wicked are those who see the righteous getting blessed and they're mad about it. See, some of you got some haters in your own family that don't like to see you get nothing. You got some haters on your job that are mad if you get the promotion. You got some haters in your company. You got some haters in your school. Wherever you are, you got haters around you who don't want to see you get anything and are all upset whenever you get a blessing. And the thing that you need to keep in mind is that God needs there to be a juxtapositioning. Follow me. In order for light to be seen, it must shine in the midst of darkness. Meaning if you go into a room that's flooded with light and you bring a light with you, people laugh at you. But if you walk into a room that's filled with darkness and you turn on a light, people bless you for it. And so light is only seen, it's only discerned in the presence of darkness because darkness is the proper juxtapositioning for light. Movement or speed, movement is only discerned against something that's standing still. You sit in an airplane and you look at the the person next to you. Do they appear to be moving? But look outside the window. You are moving. Matter of fact, you're moving at five or six hundred miles an hour. But you can't discern it when you're looking in the plane because the person next to you is moving at the same speed. But when you look out the window, you see things that are not moving. And so you seem to be moving pretty fast. Are you hearing me? Well, the blessing of the Lord is only discerned in juxtaposition against his curse. And so what God does when he wants to bless you, when he wants to set you up as a paradigm of blessing, is he sets you in the midst of haters. When he said in Psalm chapter 23, verse 5, David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's not just a promise, it's a principle. God will only prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He doesn't drive your enemies out and then set a table for you. He makes sure. See, some of you are praying for folks to get fired. Stop praying for them to get fired. Pray that they stay long with the company because they need to be around when you get the promotion. Some of you are running from opposition. Everybody's hating on me at this job. I'm going to quit this job. Why? Why would you run from the very ones that God wants to prepare a table before you? In their presence. I mean, God needs you to stick up. You stay close to your haters. Don't run from them. Stick closer to them. Because God needs some witnesses. 
when he's about to break through on your behalf, when he's about to do something that flips the script, he wants the very ones who oppressed you to be right there to see it. When he flips the script and blesses you. Come on, somebody. It's called an in-your-face blessing. God is going to give you some folks that you can look into their eyes and say, in your face. It's a gift from God. He's not going to take them out of your life. He says, I need to leave them there so that when I give you an in-your-face blessing, the worst thing is for God to give you an in-your-face blessing, but there's nobody to say in-your-face to. Because you spent so much time running from your haters. Quitting jobs because you're oppressed on the job. Dropping classes because the professor doesn't like you. Come on, somebody. Stop running from your haters. Stay close to them. Just love on them. Smile every time you see them. (laughs) Tell them, I need you in my life. You don't know how much you mean to me. Oh, you just don't know because when God goes to bless me, you are going to be the darkness that the light shines in the presence of. When God goes to bless me, you're the one standing still so people can see how fast I'm moving. When God goes to bless me, you are going to be the reason why people are able to see just how powerful God is. And so God puts you in places. The thing you need to understand is that whether you're hated on or whether you're given favor, all is in the hands of God see some of you are in in a season and in a place where people are hating on you and God is the author of it God is the author of your haters and and God is the author of your blessing but you'll never understand why that is the case as long as you're thinking episodically and individually because if you're being hated on you're being hated on for a much bigger reason than just you And if you're being blessed, you're being blessed for a much bigger reason than just you. Now, in order for us to understand this, I I want us to look at the story of Esther. We find the story of Esther in a book of the Bible called Esther. (laughs) The context of the story of Esther is that Israel is in captivity to the Persian Empire. After the Babylonian Empire has given way to the Persian Empire, the Persian emperor's name is Ahasuerus. And Ahasuerus is ruling from the citadel of something. Susa, thank you. Thank you. Got to have a scholar in the house. And Ahasuerus decides, I didn't even hear it. Ahasuerus decides to throw a party. And he throws a party for the entire city. He's a good king. And he invites not just the rich, but he invites the poor. And he sets up banquet tables. Could you imagine, let's say the mayor of Emeryville throwing a party for the whole city of Emeryville. And filling the streets with banquet tables and gold goblets for wine. And serving every, it said from the least to the greatest in the city, from the poorest to the richest in the city, everybody gathers. And King Ahasuerus, he sets up this head table for himself and for his nobles and for his elders and for his leaders. And they are drinking and they are dancing and they are laughing and there's merriment and there's joy in the city. And everybody's having a wonderful time. And King Ahasuerus got a great idea. He said, you know what would really put the finishing touch on this party? 
is if my wife Vashti came out and did a dance for everybody. Now, how many husbands in this place have ever tried to get your wife to dance on cue at a party? See, what most of y'all don't know about my wife is my wife can dance. She can do the Roger Rabbit. And she can do the running man. And she's real good. Those 80s dances. She is so good. And I saw her do the Roger Rabbit one time. I was like, oh, snap. That was awesome. And so every once in a while when we have people over or we're at a party somewhere, I say, baby, would you get up and do the Roger Rabbit? And, you know, she never does it. (laughs) Well, you know, Ahasuerus had the same problem. He grabs one of his servants and says, run into Vashti, my wife. Tell her to come out and get on the table and do a dance. Tell her, I need her to do the Roger Rabbit at this party. And so, he, and, now, and so he goes into Vashti and Vashti said, you go back and tell my husband, the king, that he done lost his mind. I am not getting up on no table and dancing for him and his, his guests. And so uh, the, the servant goes back and tells the king, your wife said you done lost your mind. And that she is not getting up on the table. Now, if I ask my wife to dance and she says no, no biggie. But if your husband is the emperor of the Persian Empire and you embarrass him. In fr- Listen, if your husband is the emperor of the Persian Empire and he asks you to dance, you better get up on that table and drop it like it's hot. <laughs> when the king's on his throne... So, so the king was so upset that his wife embarrassed him in front of the whole party that he deposed her and banished her, sent her away, got rid of his wife, right? So now the king needs a new wife. And so he's talking to his court. He says, how am I going to find the right wife? They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put on a Miss Persia pageant. And we're going to gather all the young, beautiful women throughout this entire empire. And we're going to have a Miss Persia contest. And so each one of them, you know, they would get up and they would sing their song or they would do their. It was a big talent show. And there was this young Hebrew girl by the name of Esther. She was an orphan. Did you know that? Mom and dad were dead. And she grew up in the home of her uncle Mordecai, who worked as a servant in the court of the king. And so uh, Esther is taken. I mean, she didn't have a choice. When they would, they would come through the city and they would look and they would say, you're coming with us. And it wasn't, it wasn't like you didn't, you didn't apply for this job. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got appointed. And so Esther, she didn't want it, but she gets taken and she goes and she, she sings her song for the king. And the king chooses Esther out of all of these beautiful women yeah. and makes her his queen. He says, she is the finest, the most talented the most awesome. And so Esther becomes queen. Isn't that awesome? Now Mordecai, her uncle, is all excited because he's working in the court. And now Esther's in the palace. But the king, he was so smitten with her beauty that he didn't ask about her background or her, her heritage, her ethnicity, you know, where she grew up. He didn't care about any of that. He was like, she's fine. I want her. Bam. She's your wife. Okay. <laughs> Esther's the wife now. She's the queen of the whole Persian empire, right? Which did not mean that she had equal authority with the king. Not at this time. There was no 50-50, you know. Right? It didn't work that way, right? All right. Now, taking it a step further. 
At the same time that King Ahasuerus chooses Esther as his king, he chooses a man named Haman as his right-hand man. Haman the hater. Get ready, because Haman is wicked. But now Haman is the most powerful man in the empire next to the king. And so he chooses righteous Esther as his bride and wicked Haman as his right-hand man. All right? And so when the king appoints Haman, he puts all kind of honor on him and people are afraid of Haman. And so Haman, when he would come into the court, he would walk into the king's court. And as he's walking in, everybody's bowing down. I mean, you can imagine he's just walking through the court and everybody out in the courtyard, they see Haman, they bow down. They lay with their faces to the ground. And he's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He's just walking through the place. Everybody's bowing down. Everybody's bowing down all up in here. Everybody's just bowing down all up in here. He's like, yeah, that's right. Bow down, bow down, bow down. That's right. I'm Haman. I'm the man. And, and all of a sudden he looks over there and there's this dude, this dude just standing there looking at him like this. And he says to the servant is with him, what's that dude's name? He said, his name is Mordecai. He walks up to him and he goes, Mordecai, I notice you're not bowing down. He goes, that's right. I'm not bowing down. He said, well, how come you're not bowing down? Don't you know who I am? He goes, yeah, I know who you are. He says, don't you know my title and my position? Yeah, I know your title and your position. So then how come you're not bowing down? I'll tell you why I'm not bowing down. Because I'm a Jew. And we only bow down to one. (laughs) Then I'll bow down. But until then, I'm going to stand right here. And Haman was like, man, I hate this guy. I hate this guy. Oh, I want to kill this guy. And so he goes into the king's presence and he's having a wonderful time and he comes out and he's feeling good and everybody's bowing down and there's Mordecai. Every day, day in and day out, everybody's bowing down and every time he sees Mordecai, he gets more angry. Ooh, I just want to kill this man. Just want to kill him. Haman the hater. Let me tell you the problem with Haman the hater because every time we talk about Haman the hater, everybody thinks, man, I hate that dude. Not stopping to think that maybe there's a little Haman the hater in you. Let me tell you the problem with Haman the hater. Everybody loved him. One person hated him. And he was more fixated on the one person that hated him than on everybody that loved him. 99 of your friends and family members love you, but one person is mad at you and it just ruins your day. All it takes is one person to be upset with you and it just causes your whole world to come crumbling down. You're so fixated on that one person that has a problem with you. I went through this for years. A hundred people could tell me, oh, pastor, your sermon was marvelous. But one person could say, eh, it's all right. And I'm wasted for days and for, oh, Lord, oh, nobody loves me. You're in the prayer closet praying, oh, God, why? Why me? And you're praying that about one measly person. Everybody on your job loves you, but one person's hating on you on your job. And when you ask them, how's your job going? Oh, it's horrible. Oh, there's the person, this one person on my job. This one person. If not for this one, there's a little Haman the hater in you. Because when you fixate on that one person, you naturally want to take vengeance against that one person. When you fixate on that one person, you're going to start to look for ways in your own power to do away with that person. 
Maybe you'll say a little something to the boss to get him fired. Haman the hater. Next time you think about that one person and you're tempted to do something on your own behalf to get the respect that you deserve from that one person who don't see what you do and don't see how much you. Next time you fit, just just hear my voice. Haman the hater. You're absolutely right, Haman. And so Haman the hater, he started, he hated on Mordecai so intensely that he cooked up a plan and it was much bigger than a plan to get rid of Mordecai. He goes into the king's presence one day and he says, I got an idea, king. The king says, what's your idea, Haman? He says, well, I was wondering if you'd do me a favor. And the king says, Haman, you're my dude, man. I'll give you whatever you want, man. You're my homie. You're my dog. And Haman says, there's there's this people group in your kingdom Their customs are not like ours. They're constantly causing trouble in your empire. I say we kill all of them. And the king says, well, that would cost a lot of money. And Haman says, I'll tell you what, king, I'll pay all the expenses. If you give me the green light to kill all these people, just give me the receipts. I'll reimburse you for all of it. Tell everybody in your empire, just submit receipts to Haman. Send it to killthejews at Haman.com. Send it there. And the king says, write it up. He says, well, actually, I've already taken the liberty of writing it up, king. All I need is your signature and it's done. King says, sound good to me. Where's my ring at? Puts on his ring, signs it with his signet ring. And the decree said that on the 13th day of the 12th month, everyone throughout the entire empire of Persia should go looking for Jews. And when you find them, kill all of them. Genocide. Why? Because he hates one man. Mordecai and the king signed it and Haman was all excited and so now the news spreads and Mordecai finds out about it and when Mordecai finds out about it he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he's in the court of the king and he's wailing and weeping and he's screaming and he's crying and he's crying out to God and Esther hears that Mordecai is wailing and weeping in sackcloth and ashes in the court of the king she calls one of her servants she gets new clothes and sends them to Mordecai please take that sackcloth and ashes off and put on new clothes and he, he refuses the clothes and says go back and tell Esther what's happening and she and he explains and says tell Esther she needs to go into the court of the king she needs to tell the king what's going on she needs to get the king to change his mind the news comes to Esther and Esther says go back and tell my uncle Mordecai he doesn't know what he's talking about I can't just walk into the presence of a king without being invited it was in the law that if anyone if anyone even the queen came into the presence of the king without being invited that person could be put to death do you know what the king did to his last wife for not dancing What do you think he'll do to me if I just bust up in his court without being invited? And Mordecai sent a message back and said, yes, if you do nothing, do you think that you'll escape this just because you're living in the palace? And by the way, if you do nothing, God's going to send deliverance from some other place. But you and your father's whole house is going to die. And by the way, perhaps it could be that God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. See, you've got to understand that your place of authority, your place of favor, your place of leadership is for such a time as this. Meaning there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose behind your haters and there's a purpose behind your promoters. There's a reason why you are promoted and there's a reason why you're being hated upon. And we fixate on what's happening to me and I don't understand the kingdom purpose behind what's happening either for me or against me. 
So Esther says, all right, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this. And if I perish, I perish. But you go back and tell Mordecai to tell everybody to fast for me for three days and three nights, no food, no water. Me and my maids will do the same. Have you ever been on a real fast? Most believers talk about fasting, but what they're really fasting is like ice cream. You know, no ice cream for three days. I'm on a fast. And then they're eating big chocolate chip cookies. What are you doing? I'm fasting ice cream. I didn't say cookies. <laughs> Spray some whipped cream on it. <laughs> or what are you fasting? I'm fasting Facebook. That's my favorite one. I'm fasting Facebook. I'm eating like five meals a day, but I'm still fasting Facebook. <laughs> you know what I mean? She said, I need y'all to do a real fast. You know, no Farmville fast. You know? Next person that sends me an invitation to play Farmville, I'm just going to re- reach through the Internet and slap them. <laughs> I do not want to play Farmville. There should be a, just a button. No Farmville. How many of those? In, go in. I got 287 invitations to play Farmville. I said the devil is a liar. <laughs> anyway. So Esther wrestles and prays for three days. And, and then she decides to go. She puts on her clothes. She goes up to the door of the king's court. She pushes the doors open and she walks into the king's presence. The king is sitting on his throne talking to Haman. Er, no, somebody didn't just bust up in my presence. And he looks and he sees Esther. And he goes, oh, it's, it's my baby. Oh, that's my boo right there. <laughs> Where's my scepter? And he takes his scepter. And he stretches it out towards her. Which was symbolic of, it's all right. <laughs> and she comes and touches the tip of his scepter. And then she kneels before him. And he says, what is it that you want, my queen? Ask me anything and I'll give it to you. Up to half my kingdom. Half? <laughs> Maybe it was a little bit like today. <laughs> If I were Esther, I'd have been like, forget what I was going to ask for. I want half your kingdom. (laughs) She thinks for a second and she says, all I want is for the king and Haman to join me for dinner tonight. I want to, I just want to cook for y'all. Would you come to my house and let me prepare a banquet for you? And Haman is sitting there and he goes, the queen wants to have dinner with me? And the king? And the king said, wonderful idea. And she runs off and prepares the banquet. And Haman is all excited. He runs home, puts on his best tuxedo, puts on his top hat, gets that cane. (laughs) He's walking back to the palace. Everybody's bowing. He's like, man, I am on top of the world. He goes and he sits in Esther's home next to the king. He and the king are reclining. Whining, dining, laughing, sharing stories, reminiscing, having a wonderful time. And when it's all over, the king says, by the way, Esther, my queen, was there something you wanted to ask me? She said, yes, there is, my king. 
would you come back, you and Haman, again tomorrow night for dinner? And the king said, sure, that's, what do you think, Haman? I would be honored, Queen Esther. Wonderful. Now Haman is really sitting on top of the world. He's so excited. He leaves the palace. He says good night to the king and queen. Everyone is bowing down. And as he's walking through the court, he looks and there's Mordecai again. (laughs) Interesting that even though Mordecai knew that his life was on the line, he still would not bow down. Haman looks, and when he sees Mordecai standing there defiantly, all of his joy leaves his heart. He gets home, and he starts crying to his wife. He's like, man, I'm upset. His wife said, baby, what's wrong? She said, I'm the only one the queen invited to her palace for dinner with the king, but I can't experience any of the joy of it. Why? Because that fool Mordecai, He defies me to my face. Man, I hate that guy. His wife goes, baby boo. Don't you know how powerful you are? Don't you know that if you hate somebody, you can just kill them? I mean, don't you know that you can just take them out? And he says, well, what should I do? She said, build a gallows 50 feet high. And tomorrow night or the next day, two, two days from now, why don't you hang Haman on it in front of everybody? That'll show him. He goes, that's, I mean, hang Mordecai. That's a good idea. Michael Jackson, Haman, Mordecai, I'm all jacked up. (laughs) So he calls in the architect. He says, design me a 50 foot gallows. Architect said, I'm on it. He calls in the general contractor. He said, take that drawing from the architect and build it. Two days from now, we're going to have us a public hanging. And the, and the, the, the general contractor said, all right, I'm on it. And so now he feels so good. He goes to sleep. He's sleeping next to his wife. He's now he's back in the glory. Now he's, he's enjoying himself. He's feeling great. But meanwhile, the king in his palace is having a rough night of sleep. You ever had a rough night of sleep where you can't sleep and you're tossing and turning and it's two o'clock in the morning and you still can't sleep and you've been laying in bed for two hours. And so the king had one of those nights. Now they didn't have Netflix back then and they didn't have YouTube back then and they did not have Candy Crush. Right. And so what, what the king would do back then is he would call in his court historian. That sounds like fun, right? You wake up in the morning. Well, I need to call a historian, right? He calls in his court historian. He says, just go back three months and just read and tell me what's happened in our And so he says, all right, cool. So he starts reading three months ago and he gets to a certain day. And as just as the king's about to drift off to sleep, the the historian gets to a day and says, and he tells him the story of how there was a plot to assassinate the king and a servant in the court by the name of Mordecai discovered the plot, revealed it to the king and saved the king's life. And the king says, wait, 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 Mordecai, that dude that hangs out in my court. He goes, yeah. He saved my life. He goes, yeah. Did we ever do anything for him? He said, no, we never did anything. He never got a reward. He saved my life and we didn't reward him? No, we never rewarded him. We got to do something. What am I going to do? What do you think we should do for him? He says, I don't know. I'm just a historian. I need somebody to tell me. I know. Call Haman. My homie Haman will know what to do. Go get Haman right now. Bring him here right now. So they go get Haman. They wake him up in the middle of the night. So the king wants to see you right now. 
And it's like, awesome. He puts on his nicest clothes. Yes, sir. King says, Haman, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? And Naaman thought to himself, who is there whom the king delights to honor more than me? And so Naaman says, Haman, help me, Lord. Haman says, here's what you do, king. Take a robe that the king himself has worn and put it on this man's shoulders. And take a horse upon which the king himself has ridden and set the man on it. And take a royal crest and place it on his head. And let the king's most noble prince lead the man through the streets of the city, crying out with a loud voice, This shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. This shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And the king says, Haman, that's an awesome idea. Haman says, I know. Thank you, king. I want to do it right now. Haman says, wonderful. Haman, go get Mordecai. And do it for him right now. Don't leave anything out. You go do it for Mordecai right now. Now, when I get to heaven, I want to see the replay of this. I want to see this videotape. The look on Haman's face. He must have turned ghost white. He must have practically had a heart attack. He must have started spasming in the presence of the king. He didn't see that one coming. I want to see the tape of Haman walking into the courtyard to Mordecai. Mordecai expecting him to look into his face with contempt. But instead, Haman saying, come with me, Mordecai. I want to see the look on Haman's face when he put the robe around Mordecai's shoulders, put the royal crest on his head, and set him on the horse of the king. And I just want to see the look on Mordecai's face when he looks down at Haman and says... In your face. (laughs) Haman leads him through the city crying out. Thus shall be done to the man. (laughs) Whom the king delights. To honor. This shall be done. To the man whom the king delights to in your face. That's why you can't run from your oppressors because God's going to use the very ones who oppress you to exalt you. You can't from if you run from your haters, there will be nobody to lead your horse. If you run from your haters, there'll be nobody to put a robe on your shoulders. You can't run from them. That's why you need to go to your haters. I need you in my life. You just need to walk up to one of your biggest haters this week. I mean, just walk right up and look with all sincerity and love and just say, I wear a a 44 regular coat. (laughs) Size 10 shoes. And my hat is a, a seven and a half. So why are you telling me this? Just in case you need to know one day. Just in case. Just so you know. 44 regular. It's my coat. Sometimes that's a little tight in the shoulders though. 
And as soon as Haman is done leading him through the city, he runs back home and he tells his wife what happened. Now watch this. His wife and all his friends are there. And he tells them what happened. And his wife goes, oh, yeah, it's all bad. (laughs) Isn't it funny? Yesterday his wife was like, you are so awesome. You can do anything. Just take the guy out. Now his wife goes, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, that, that, you, it's over for you. <laughs> you out. <laughs> it's, and, and his friends were like, yeah, your wife is right. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> right? It's like, hey, but you guys told me to do it. Yeah, yeah, that, that probably wasn't wise. <laughs> and just then a servant shows up and says, Mr. Haman, it's time to go to the banquet with King Harris and Queen Esther. So he puts on his clothes, he runs, he's so frazzled, he's shaking, he's trying to shake it off. Okay, let me go back to the king's palace. Everybody's going to bow before me. I'm going to dine with the king and Queen Esther. And he goes there, he tries to laugh it off. He has a few glasses of wine with the king. They're exchanging stories. They're laughing. And by the end of the meal, he's back in high spirits. He thinks, man, that thing that happened today, that was just a fluke. But I'm still going to hang Haman on those gallows that I'm having built. And everything's going to be fine. Everything's fine, right? Tell me everything's fine. They get to the end of the meal. And the king says, by the way, Queen Esther... What is it that you have to ask me? And all of a sudden, boldness comes over her. She said, I came to to plead with the king for my life and for the life of my people. The king says, what are you talking about? She said, my people have been sold, O king, and someone is oppressing my people. The king goes, who? Who's messing with my wife? Who is messing with my baby mama? Who is it? Who is it? And the queen goes, that wicked man Haman right there. And the king gets up and storms out of the room. Now, when a king storms out of the room after your name has been mentioned, it's all bad. It is all bad. Haman knows it's all bad. And so he runs over to to Esther, falls on his face and begins to plead with her. He didn't even know she was a Jew. He didn't even know she was the, the niece of Mordecai. The man who he was trying to kill. He had no, listen, the enemy has no idea who you are. Let me tell you something. The people who are oppressing you have no idea who you are. They don't know the glory and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That They don't know who your daddy is. They don't know what family you're a part of. See, if if Haman would have known that, he wouldn't have done this. Now he's pleading with Esther for his life. And Esther's just sitting on the couch ignoring him. And so he jumps up off his knees and falls on her, like literally throws himself on her, on her lap, pleading for his life. And the king walks in Uh and sees Haman all up on her lap. Says, will you try to molest the queen in the presence of the king? Oh, heck no. You're not about to come up in my house. And it said, while the words were still in the king's mouth, the servants came and put a black covering over Haman's head. It's done. And one of the servants comes up and says, King, I got an idea. Goes, oh, yeah, what's the idea? He said, well, somebody's building, somebody built a gallows that's 50 feet high out in the street. And the king says, go hang Haman on it. And they took him out and they hung him immediately. Oh, in your face. In your face. And in your face, blessing is about a reversal. Do you see the reversal that happened in this situation? The honor that Haman wanted for himself, God gave to Mordecai. And the judgment that Haman wanted for Mordecai, God gave to Haman. 
Do you know what it means when it says no weapon formed against you will prosper? And every tongue that rises up in judgment against you, you shall refute. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is of me, says the Lord. Do you know that God will vindicate you, but also that the scripture says vengeance is mine. I shall repay. See, this message is not about you go about you going out from here plotting your vengeance. That's the flesh. Because if you leave this place trying to plot your own vengeance, you become Haman the hater. Mordecai simply stands his ground, sticks to his principles, stands by his morals and trusts in the Lord. That's what Mordecai does. And Mordecai is the righteous man. And all of the promises of Psalm 112 go to Mordecai, not to Haman. But you got to stay out of the court of Haman the hater. See, some of you have been standing in the court of Haman the hater and you don't even know it. Because there's people in your life that you're hating on. I don't agree with you, so I'm going to be upset if you prosper. You need to let that go today. You need to let that go today. If there's anybody in your life that you're grieved because they're prospering, you need to ask God to forgive. You need to break that off of your life today. You need to make a decision. I'm not going to hate on anybody. I will not stand in the court of Haman the hater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Amen. And this, this word is also not for folks. You say, well, my boss is hating on me. No, you're just not doing your work. Your boss is not hating on you because you show up 45 minutes late to work. Leave 30 minutes early and take an hour and a half lunch. They're hating on me. No, they're not. You deserve it. They fired me. Yeah, you should have got fired. I'd have fired you too. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about you're doing your work. You're standing your ground. You're doing your best. You're giving your all. You haven't compromised your integrity or your morals. And if you've compromised yourself in any way, it's not too late to get that right so that you come back into the Mordecai camp. You're hearing me. But in that Mordecai camp where you say there's folks in my life that are upset every time I prosper, don't want to see me prosper, looking for a way to cut me down. You need to thank the Lord for them every day. Why? Because God is going to prosper you in their presence. He's going to flip the script. He's going to turn the tables. He's going to change the tune. I'm telling you that God is in the process of delivering the righteous and destroying the wicked. That that is what he does. And he says, I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. I'm telling you, God has an in your face blessing just waiting for you. An in your face blessing just waiting for you. And the desire of the wicked is going to come to nothing. Why? Because he loves you. See, this is a side of the love of God that we don't talk about very much. We think the love of God is all goose, bumply, bubbly, sugar and spice and everything nice. The love of God is this nice, nice, warm feeling. I learned about a new kind of love the day my daughter was born. Because see, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I've always been able to talk myself out of fights (laughs) since I was a little boy. God gave me a gift of articulateness. And persuasion. Somebody who tried to fight me, I'd be like, brothers, brothers. The last thing we need is more violence in this community. Do you understand what happened in the civil rights movement? The people who gave their lives so that we can walk hand in hand in, in brotherhood. I have a dream today, brothers. We don't need to do this. I would talk myself out of fights. Or just ignore it, walk on. But the day my daughter was born, something else came alive in my heart. A kill switch. A fire. 
said, if somebody touches my little girl, I mean, I love everybody. Don't get me wrong. I, that's my natural default mechanism. Love everybody. I just love you. I just like everybody and I love everybody. Until you're trying to hurt my little girl. Then a, a switch flips on the, on the inside. Of, Don't you touch my little girl. And my little girl might not even feel violated, but I know when she's being violated, even if she doesn't know. She might think it's fun. I was at the playground with her a couple weeks ago, and uh, she was going down this slide, and a little girl was sitting at the top of the slide, and the little girl was throwing kids off the slide. And I looked up just in time to see her throw my daughter down the slide. Now, my daughter thought it was the funnest thing that ever happened. She's, woo! But before I could even think, I jumped up, hey, 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 don't you be throwing kids down the slide. You stop that. I looked around, all the other parents were looking at me. I'm looking for her parents. Where's this little girl's parents? I'll punch you in the eye. My daughter was fine, but I was livid. Why? She's not old enough to know that she's been violated. It's up to me to protect her. You know, that's how your daddy in heaven feels about you. See, you think that as a believer, you're just supposed to grin and bear it. That that's that's what being a Christian is all about, right? Turn the other cheek. But some of you have been turning that cheek and turning that cheek and turning that cheek. When my mother was in high school, a a young lady walked up to her and slapped her in her face. My mom said, what'd you do that for? She said, you're a Christian, right? She said, yeah. I said, well, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. So my mom turned the other cheek. Smack! Slapped her in the other cheek. And my mom thought it was over. And all of a sudden, smack! The girl smacked her again. My mother looked up after the third smack. Bam! The girl said, what'd you do that for? She said, Jesus only said to turn it once. You don't know how hot the fire of the Father's love is for you. When you're being mistreated, when you're being oppressed, it pisses him off. His blood boils. And he says in his heart, nobody's going to treat my kids that way. You know what that does for me? It causes the fear of the Lord to be born in my heart. Because I never want to be on the receiving end of that. I don't want to mistreat anybody. If I've mistreated you, I'm sorry. (laughs) Forgive me right now. I'll never do it again. Why? One, I want to have a good relationship with you. But more than that, I do not want to find myself standing before an angry God. Who says, what have you said to my son? What did you do to my daughter? See, the reason you need to know this is because you've been carrying an inferiority complex for so long. You think what God wants for you is suffering. When you're mistreated, you think, well, this is my lot. I'm a Christian. God wants me to just bear this. That's what it means. Just accept it. Endure is one thing. Embrace is something completely different. God wants us to endure hardship as good soldiers. 
But embracing hardship is something that's completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you embrace hardship, you begin to say to yourself, this is all I'm worth. Yeah. This is all I deserve. I guess that's who I am. I guess that's what the Lord wants for me. But when you endure it, your mindset is completely different. Yeah, yeah. When you endure it, your mindset says, this is temporary. It's yeah. not my destiny. Yeah. I'm walking through this, but God has marked it. It's not my destiny. Amen. This is not the blessing. This is not the promise. I have to walk through this on the way to the promise. And I will walk through it and I will endure it. But this is not it. This is not the promise. My heart will not stop expecting and anticipating the promise. I know that there's an in your face blessing coming. And you know what? The end of that in your face blessing is not always that your enemy gets hung. That's not what it's about. That's an extreme case that happened with Haman and Esther. Poor not poor Haman, poor Esther. But that's not going to happen to all your enemies. You know what's going to happen a lot of the time? A lot of the time when your haters see you getting blessed, it's going to change their heart. And they're going to say, you know what? I aligned myself on the wrong side of you. I didn't know that God had his hand on you in this way. Some of you, your in your face blessing is like Joseph. Brothers sell him into slavery, and the next thing you know, they're bowing before him in Egypt. In your face. But after he says, in your face, he says, but what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. So I'm not going to harm you. There was that in your face moment. They fulfilled the dream. They found themselves on their faces, bowing down to their younger brother. But that in your face moment was not their destiny either. You say, well, maybe I've... Maybe you're here, you say, I've been a a, a Haman the hater. Maybe there is an in-your-face moment coming to you, but it's not your destiny. As long as you disalign your heart from Haman's today, say, you know what? I'm not going to hate on the people of God anymore. There's so much of that in the body of Christ. Hating on preachers who preach something that you disagree with. Hating on believers who believe something you disagree with. Hating on people from that church or that church or this movement or that movement. There's so much of that. Hater the Haman has infiltrated even the body of Christ. Church, we got to do better than that. Yeah. We got to do better than that, church. God's called us to be Mordecai. God's called us to be Esther. I'm simply going to stand for what I believe. And you can oppress me if you want. I'm going to continue doing my best. You can attack me if you want. I'm going to show up day in and day out. I'm not going to run from you because you don't like me. I'm going to run to you. Because regardless of what you do, God's going to bless me. You just got to get that in your heart and mind. Regardless of what the people around me do, God is going to bless me. I mean, God has blessing and increase for you. And he's got a coming day of vindication. You know what Jesus did on the cross? The scripture said on the cross, he triumphed over powers and principalities and made a public spectacle of them. See, Satan spent all his time trying to set him up to get crucified. And it wasn't until he was hanging on that cross that Satan realized he had made a drastic mistake. Said he triumphed over powers and principalities and made a public spectacle of them. You know what that meant? That on the cross, Jesus looked up at all the powers and principalities and said, in your face. 
You think you defeated me. This is not my hour of greatest defeat. This is my moment of greatest victory. Because at this very moment where you think you defeated me, at this moment, God is in me reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against. At this moment, the sins of mankind are being forgiven. That the, the, the written rule that is written against them is being taken away. Every wall is being torn down in your face, devil. In your face. That in your face blessing is against everything that has tried to destroy you. See, the enemy comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And that you might have it to the full. Amen. Some of you are so conscious of the oppression of the enemy. But God wants to flip the script on you now so that you are more conscious of the blessing of the Lord. Amen. Than you are of the oppression of the enemy. Amen. And that you begin to contextualize oppression. And see it as a prelude to greater blessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as a hindrance. Because nothing can stop God from blessing and prospering you. When God gets ready to bless and prosper you, nothing can stop him. Nothing. Bow your heads. Precious Heavenly Father, I speak your blessing over this your house and over these your people. I pray that the words of this message would sink down into every heart, into every soul, into every mind, and into every life. I pray you'd cover my weakness and my inability to communicate clearly at any point, and that Holy Spirit, you would give the interpretation. And I pray that you'd begin to prep the hearts of your people for the blessings to come. Back to the blessing. Back to the blessing. Specifically, I speak this blessing over the finances of your people today. In the name of Jesus. So many in this room have been oppressed financially. Oppressed so harshly in the financial arena that you begin to feel like you're never going to prosper. You will always struggle. You will always be broke. But I break that lie from over your life today in the name of Jesus. And I say that in this house, we will rejoice when you are victorious, according to Psalm chapter 20. There's nobody in this house that's going to be grieved when you prosper. We will rejoice when you are victorious. We will rejoice when you are victorious. I'm telling you that you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that is watching you run your race and waiting for you to be victorious. Watching every hurdle that you jump. And I say that you will be victorious and that you will prosper in every way. I speak that blessing over you right now in Jesus' name. And maybe there's somebody in this room or even in the overflow room, I know you're there, that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never surrendered your life to him. But you say, I'm ready today. I'm ready right now. I'm not talking about a believer that has responded to this a hundred times. So if you've responded to this dozens of times, you need to be discipled, not saved. Yeah. And I'm talking to somebody who say, maybe you've never really opened your heart, made a decision to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. Or maybe you did and it was just so many years ago and you walked away for so long that you're really ready to do it right now. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand, just you and me. Nobody's looking around. 
If I have a pastor in the overflow room that's looking for hands there, just make eye contact with that pastor if you would, if that's you. Anybody here? Say, I'm ready. I'm ready right now. I'm ready right now. So, Father, I thank you today and I just speak your blessing over the sons and daughters who dwell in this house. And I break the spirit of intimidation off of every heart. Because so many of us, when we stand before Haman, we cower. We feel intimidated. We feel inferior. Haman has more money than us, more power than us, more clout, more confidence, more boldness. But I break that spirit of intimidation off of you right now in the name of Jesus. And I say that you will stand before many Hamans, but you will never be afraid. And you will never be ashamed. When you look into the eyes of Haman and you refuse to bow before him, I declare that there will be a confidence in your eyes that says, regardless of what you try to do to me, Haman, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him on that day. I speak confidence. I speak peace. I speak blessing and understanding in Jesus' mighty name.